Will you join me in the prayer for illumination? Blessed God, give us ears to hear your word and give us fertile hearts in which that word may take root, that we may live into the fullness of your creation. Amen. Our first lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They went to Capernaum, Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture lessons for today talk about two different instances, one from Deuteronomy and one from the Gospel of Mark where the Lord is giving a word to speak to the people. And in the case of Jesus, Jesus is given a word of authority and that word carries weight. That word is able to cast out unclean spirits and bring about a sense of wholeness and healing and community. And so for our sermon today, I'd like to walk through with you uh, part of the insert. You have this yellow insert. On one side is the nominating committee report, which we'll handle in a little bit. On the other side are sermon notes. 
And in typical fashion for the Gospel of Mark, what you have here is a story about Jesus coming to speak with authority. And what Mark typically does is he will start a story and then he'll interject some other event that's happening in that story and he'll tell that new story and then he'll go back to the previous story and conclude that. And so what I have put out on your yellow insert is that middle section. They call this in seminary, they teach you to say it's a Markin sandwich because you have a layer of bread. He starts with a one story and then he gives you some meat or something in the middle of the sandwich and then he goes back and gives you that final piece of bread. So we're going to deal with that meat section of the sandwich this morning, which begins with verse 23. And just then there in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so this is an epiphany story because even the unclean spirits in the world recognize who God is, that there is a confrontation, there is an epiphany, a manifestation of God being real in the world. And this is what's happening in this story from the Gospel of Mark. So I would like for us to talk about church in the context of this story. And as, as Jesus has cast out unclean spirits and has authority to do so, I would suggest to us this morning that Jesus still has that same spirit to work within the life of the church to cast out anything that is going to get in our way of living life in the Holy Spirit. We could call that an unclean spirit because the Holy Spirit will create life and vitality and purpose. It creates a healthy culture within a church. And an unclean spirit would prevent the Holy Spirit from doing that. An unclean spirit is anything that gets in the way of God doing God's work. And so I want us to talk about that this morning. Every organization, every family, every job has a culture or a DNA or a what we might call a spirit. And that spirit can be an unhealthy spirit, or it could be a spirit of vitality and life, which I would say is given by God. And I'm from Dallas. There are two companies that historically have been good companies to work for, Southwestern Airlines and Brinker International Chili's, which is where I worked, worked for. They, they had a reputation within the Metroplex of saying these are good companies to work for because they have a healthy spirit and a healthy DNA. You can walk into a restaurant and kind of feel, oh, there's not something quite right here. It may have an unclean spirit, so to speak. Well, churches are the same way. Churches can be vibrant and lively, full of the Holy Spirit, or churches can have more of an unclean spirit about them. And I would say that Christ is active in both trying to cast out those unclean spirits to bring about the work of the Holy Spirit of vitality and life and health. There's a story that I would like to share with you about cultures and systems and spirits and DNA. And I'm not even sure it's really a true story, but it's not necessarily whether it's true or not, but it illustrates the point. 
At one point, there was a university that did studies on behavior of monkeys. And what they did is they created a room where the, they brought the monkeys in, and in the center of the room, there was a pole, and at the top of the pole, they put bananas. And so, as you know, what would happen, the monkeys would come into the room and see the bananas at the top of the pole. They would climb up the pole and get the bananas and be happy. This was the initial stage of the study. Then what they did is they introduced a new element. At the top of the pole, they also put a bucket of water. And so when the, when the monkeys would climb up the pole to get the bananas, they were inevitably dashed with water all over themselves. So, guess what happened? Over time, those monkeys in that room would come in, they would see the bananas, and they would learn that if I go get those bananas, I'm going to get wet. And so they stopped climbing up the pole to get the bananas. So, what is interesting about this, these, these monkeys that would behave normally outside that room would come in, see bananas, and not go for them. Then, they introduced a second new element. They brought in new monkeys that had previously not understood the water situation. So they had a pole, a, uh, bananas up on the top, and then they removed the water. And so even though the threat of getting wet was gone, guess what they did? The new monkeys would come in, see the bananas, and do what? Start climbing up the pole, but the monkeys who had been in that environment, in that culture, who had been trained that they would get wet, would pull that monkey down and try to keep that monkey from climbing up because they didn't want that new monkey to get wet. Even though the water was gone, they had been conditioned over time to not do what monkeys are made to do, which is eat bananas and have fun. Then they kept the study going. Generation would go by and they would bring in new monkeys and each one would be pulled down even though the water was gone. Until eventually, the culture of that room had changed to the point when they would bring in a brand new monkey who had never been in there and they could feel the energy in the room. They would look at the bananas and sit down and not go for them. Even though the water had been long removed in generation past, the monkeys were never going for the bananas. So, I tell you that story as an example of a room that took on, over time, an unclean spirit. Because that culture, that system in that room prevented the monkeys from doing what they were supposed to do. Now, you guys are not monkeys. But I hope that you see the correlation that we're trying to do. On your sheet, I would... I've listed out five movements that enable churches to be Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-led. You see one column on the left which describes what is entitled cultural dysfunction. And the cultural dysfunctions are unclean spirits of consumerism, incongruence, autocracy, cloister, and inertia. But the good news is, is that each one of those, there is a movement that a church 
or any organization can move out of that dysfunction into a biblical dynamic. Each one of those has a corresponding healthy Holy Spirit-led movement. So I'm going to describe these movements to you, and I don't want you to necessarily get caught up on all the details because it's lots of information, but I hope that you will get a sense of an overall progression, an overall movement, an overall energy, because we want to follow those arrows. So the first one would be consumerism. This is how church people relate to each other. Consumerism creates a culture where there's just a collection of people, they come in and they act individually and there's no sense of common identity. And consumerism is so prevalent in our society that we can't help but be affected by consumerism. However, the Holy Spirit works in our lives and it works within churches to lead us towards communities so that individuals come in and they see how they are important individually, but you also see how you are important as a part of the body of Christ. And that's the definition of a church, the body, a living, organic body of Christ. The next one is incongruence. Number two deals with the genetic code of an organization. With incongruence, what that simply means is that what we say about ourselves is different than how we act. What we say is different than what we do. So there's an incongruence. There's no clear sense of identity. And how you see this mostly played out in churches is that churches will sit around and say, well, Wesley's doing such and such, so maybe let's take that and do that. Or Calvary has this, and so let's take that same model and let's do it here. And what you're all doing is you're not necessarily taking a sense of who we are. You're just looking at all these other churches and say, well, let's just try that here without any sense of clear identity about who we are. So we don't have a praise band because that's not necessarily who we are. Other people do that and do it well. We have a different culture. We have a DNA that allows us to do something different here, and we can still do it well. So a healthy church would align, first of all, know who they are, and then align their ministries with that knowledge of who you are. So for example, what I have tried to do in the past year or so is to talk to you a lot about the five practices of fruitful congregations, because I've tried to sell that to say that if we are doing radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and extravagant generosity, those can be a common language, a core sense of identity. Okay, this is what we're about. This is a language that there's only five. Most of us have five digits on a hand. We can count those out and know this is what we're about. That's a sense of code rather than incongruence. When the session did session goals, the session I always put faithful and fruitful. So if we're doing goals, we want to make sure that we're doing goals that allow us to be faithful and fruitful. That's a code rather than just doing whatever we think we want to do. Number three, autocracy versus shared leadership. This has to do with how leadership is shared within the church. 
Leadership and autocracy is often bureaucratic. We do things because that's the way the system works and we have to feed the system and we end up doing stuff just to feed the system in order to do stuff that actually makes sense. In an autocracy, the leadership is served, seen as power. In a sense of shared leadership, leadership is not seen in a sense of power, it's about ministry. Who's doing what to bring about the good news of Jesus? Number four, this is cloister versus missional. As you move from cloister, you're moving from people who feel disengaged and you're moving to a sense of everyone has a pretty clear sense of Christian vocation. I always use uh, Mickey Tripp as an example when I talk about that what we do here in this church is not necessarily all we do as Christians. You're not just a Christian because you come in here. So what our job is to help you to have a clear sense of Christian identity so that like Mickey does, she gets involved with people of, uh, now I'm losing my train of thought because I don't have it written down, but she gets involved in uh, uh, the, the refugees and the, the sister cities. She's living out her Christian identity in the world outside these walls. And the best way that we see that lived out here is Emmaus Cafe, because we're not feeding ourselves, we're feeding people we don't know for the most part, we've gotten to know them. But this is an open activity where we take a risk to bring people in who we don't know and anything can happen. But it's a sense of us being a missional church and not a cloistered church. The other example of that is the deacon prayer card ministry. It's something that we're not just praying for ourselves, but we're, we've got a list of people that we're praying for, that we're writing cards for, all across the United States. And then finally, number five, inertia versus reinvention. This would be how the future is viewed. 2020, eight years from now, how are we gonna be looking at ourselves? What do we do now to get ourselves positioned in that way? Do we just say, oh, now is good enough, let's leave it alone? Or do we take risks to do things that are not for us, but maybe for a new generation that is yet to come. Again, don't get caught up on all those different details, but I hope you get a sense of movement, of energy, of how things can take time to change in a church. So if you look at the cultural dysfunction, and if you're a, let's say you're a new person here for the first time, or you're looking for a church home, if you go into a church and the church has a bunch of individuals who are disconnected, they're drifting around with no clear story or no identifying, unifying values, and they always are looking around someone else to take care of their problems and blaming others when things go wrong, and they're mostly self-serving and resistant to change, is that gonna be a healthy, vital environment for you to say, ah, oh, this is where I feel like I can grow? Or would you think that new person would walk in and say, well, they're not necessarily where they need to be with shared leadership, but I see some signs happening. Or they may not be, they seem a little bit resistant to change, but I also see some other things happening. We're never gonna be completely on that right column. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God is always working in our midst to allow us to be free from unclean spirits. And so I would suggest to you that as you look at the annual report, 
that I hope that you look for signs of the unclean spirits being cast out and the Holy Spirit working in our midst to bring about good, healthy, vital, life-giving ministries that change people's lives. That's why we're here, so that lives are changed. We want, we want, or who has the bulletin cover? See the bulletin cover and the, and the unclean spirit, how it's kind of just shrinking back? That's what we want. We want to offer a prayer that says, thank you, God, for the life-giving ministries that are happening within the life of this church. But also, God, we know that there are things that are unclean that are in our midst. And so we pray and lift those up to God so that that unclean spirit shrinks back and has less control over our life as a common congregation. Because let me remind you, there are bananas. Amen.